0: Well, who's the greatest? In today's vernacular, we say, who's the goat, right? We do that in sports, Michael Jordan or LeBron James, Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods, Messi or Ronaldo. We do that in other areas as well. We do that, Whataburger or In-N-Out, don't answer that. You're in Texas, be careful. Do that Coke, Pepsi, on and on and on. But we also translate some of these questions about... Who's the greatest into spiritual life? And we know we're not supposed to do that, but we think in terms of Piper or Sproul or my church or your church or hey, I got the new ESV pastor's leather study Bible. What do you have? So we tend to compare ourselves with others and we tend to use measurables to compare what we view and how we view the greatest. How do you measure greatness? Maybe you think about your Christmas lights compared to your neighbors, but if you have the Griswolds living next to you like I do, there's not a comparison. Maybe you think about your posh house or your big truck that you have compared to others. Maybe those are unspoken things that work through your mind from time to time, but we certainly compare and we certainly think and muse about who's the goat. But how does God measure greatness? How does he measure greatness? greatness in His kingdom, not the kingdom of this world, because the kingdom of this world often measures greatness with status and power and fame, and that's the air we breathe, and so we're tempted to view and look into that in the way the world does, but how does Jesus measure greatness? Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, and we'll be in verses 23 through 34 this morning. It's page 882 on the Bible on the end of your roll if you're looking how does jesus measure greatness and we come to this text and we're coming into a text which we usually work through a book of the bible today is kind of a one-off sermon at the end of 2020 looking forward to 2021 and so this text is going to answer the question what does it look like to be great in god's kingdom and then maybe it's a familiar text to you there's jesus in the lord's supper and he's about to go to the cross and so he says to his disciples In this text, he reminds them of what's about to happen to him, and then he says, remember me, and take the cup, and then the bread, and then he drops a bomb into the conversation at the Lord's Supper. These men have been around him for years, learning from him and growing from him, and Jesus says, but one of you is going to deny me. And so what do they start to do? They start to look around and say, okay, it it, it can't be me. Maybe it's him because he does this or he does that. So they begin a conversation about who's the sorriest and it leads to who's the greatest. Do you see it? So Luke 22, I went to Luke 2. I don't know if I'm dyslexic or I'm going to last week. But I went to Luke 2 for some reason. I can't multitask here. But Luke 22, we're going to see what happens. How does God measure success? How does God measure greatness in his kingdom? And you may be surprised at some of the answers, but I think these measurables that Jesus gives them are very instructive for our lives as well. How do you measure greatness in God's kingdom? And maybe it's an oxymoron to you, You go, hey, I'm supposed to be humble, so this idea of greatness doesn't even apply. But I think there's some principles here, especially if you've made a list, like Here's what I'm going to accomplish next year. Here's how I'm going to be successful next year in 2021, whether it's work or home. I want you to consider these tangible ways in which 2021 might look a little different. Based on not measurables of this world, but measurables from Jesus' perspective. How can you be great in a biblical way in 2021? Let me read it for you. There's three measurables here and then one overarching truth that I want to point out to you. This morning, and so let me read the text and we'll walk through it together. Verse 23, Luke 22. And they began to question one another, which of them could it be who was going to do this, who was going to betray Jesus? And then a dispute, verse 24, a dispute also arose amongst them, as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves or the one who's the slave? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you and my fathers assigned to me a kingdom. "...that you may eat and drink and be at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times." that you may know me. Three things, three measurables Jesus gives. Really, this is a corrective, right? This is a corrective text for these disciples who are misguided. And how is going to, Jesus going to deal with these, the misguided pride of his own disciples? I wonder how Jesus felt in that moment. He'd been teaching there for a number of years, and here they are at the end of his life, still arguing about who's going to be the greatest disciple once he leaves. So what does he do? How does he handle the situation? The first thing he does is he teaches. That's what Jesus did. He teaches. He teaches them about the way they are thinking and behaving. And look at he, here in, in verse 24, this dispute happens. And then he, he, he says to them, the kings, or those who are great in the world of the Gentiles, exercise lordship, meaning a heavy hand, in verse 24, over them. That's how Great men rule, and great people rule in this world, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. When you think of benefactors, these are the kings who exhibit, kind of like if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, you know Commodus, the son of Marcus Aurelius, who takes the throne from his father, he kills his father, and he takes the throne, he wanted everybody to do what? He wanted everybody to love him and cherish him, and he wanted to be seen as a a king who loved the people, and the people loved him, but he was an awful ruler, and yet he would throw bread out to the crowds and bring gladiators in to let them enjoy it. That's the kind of kings in Jesus' day. They were benefactors. On the outside, they looked good, but they were power-hungry, awful people who were lording power over the people, but not so with you. Jesus says, here's a bad example Here's what leadership looks like. Here's what greatness looks like in this world that you're living in, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest. The youngest in that culture, in first century culture, had no status. They had no status. They had no authority. They had nothing. They were seen as the lowest of people. There's no status for a child. And yet Jesus says to his disciples, that's how you ought to be, with no status, and the leader is the one who does what? Look at it there. In the verse 26, the one who serves. Remember, they're reclining at the table, the Lord's Supper. And there's people that are serving them. So he point, he's pointing to them and saying, no, those are the people that you need to be like. You need to be a servant, literally a slave. For who is greater? The one who reclines. And he goes and he speaks of himself as an example. And so your first point is this this morning. If you want to be great in God's kingdom... God's kingdom, greatness in God's kingdom is first marked by servanthood. This is the message that Jesus is is teaching his disciples. It's marked by servanthood, not status, not the way of the world. Let me ask you a question. How do you want people to see you? How do you want people to see you? Do you want to see you as a servant or someone with status? Maybe the best question I could ask is, how do you respond when someone does treat you like a servant? How do you respond in that moment? Do you not know who I am? Is that what goes through your brain? You know, men, this is an important lesson for us. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples about leadership and greatness. And oftentimes, men, we get this wrong. We get this wrong. We think in our minds that Greatness is about climbing the rungs of a ladder and we will do anything and everything to, to get that power and get up the rungs of the ladder so that we are seen in a certain way amongst other men and amongst other people. Are there things that, you, that are beneath you that you refuse to do because you are beyond that, men? Do you lord over your family because God has given you a leadership role or are you a servant leader in your home? What does a leader look like to you? Jesus is saying to his disciples and saying to us, a leader is a servant. A leader is the one who serves. There's a story of an old monk, and no, it's not a joke. I know monks, when you enter a story about a monk or a priest or a pastor, it becomes a joke. Not a joke. There's a, there's a story about a monk in France, and everyone wanted to come to learn from this monk. Nobody laughed. Y'all are, we got to wake this thing up this morning. Uh, Yeah, where was I? So, monk in France, um, people would come, young people would come to learn from him because he was a a particularly excellent leader. People saw him as an extraordinary leader. And so there were three men that came to see him, that traveled up the mountain to see him. And they were like, man, we're going to learn from this monk and get all these leadership maxims better than John Maxwell and figure out how to lead people well and rule And lead, and then there was a man that joined them on the journey and said, hey, I'm going to the monastery as well. And I'd love to to join you guys. And so it was a three-day journey and they go up the mountain. And when you go up for a three-day journey, you have to go camp and you have to cook food. And they were bickering and complaining about having to serve one another. And so this man would just take, this young monk would just approach them and walked up the monastery with them. Um, would do all these things for them. So by the final day, as they were walking up to the monastery, they finally had gotten it. They had learned from this man's example and they had stopped bickering and they get to the monastery and they knock on the door and the man opens the door and says, how can I help you? We want to learn from Brother Leo, the monk, who's an extraordinary leader. And the man laughs and he says, he has been amongst you. The man that was traveling with you is the man that you are searching out. You know, we people get into leadership for all kinds of reasons. People continue in leadership for all kinds of reasons. Oftentimes, those reasons either start with or become self-serving reasons. To so what I can get out of leadership, the power and status that I can have. But the greatest leaders are the ones who care for people. Are the ones who serve and this is true especially in the church. This ought to be especially true in the church. At C3, it is our aim and our goal to put people in leadership who care for people, who want to shepherd people and love people and disciple people. Have no interest in putting people in leadership that are just doing it for status or for power or for fame. That's the way Jesus' church ought to look. I'm a bit competitive. I don't know about you. So when I read a passage in the Bible that says outdo one another, there's something within me that raises up and says I want to learn more. Romans 12 verse 10 says outdo one another. Outdo one another in what though? In having status and having power? No, outdo one another in honoring and serving and loving one another. And so if you want to compete for being the greatest, outdo one another in loving one another and serving one another In God's kingdom. So let me ask you. What are your goals and plans for 2021? Have you set some tangible goals? And what are those? Consider setting tangible goals around being a servant. About serving your spouse and caring for your family. About serving your neighbors and caring for your neighbors. And at work. Maybe it's not the rung on the ladder. Maybe it's how can I make this company greater by equipping someone else. And maybe in your church it's, you know, I'm really not great with kids, or I really would prefer not to serve in kids, but this is a need in our church. See see how I just did that? And maybe it's not beneath me to set up chairs in the morning because we're a mobile church and we need people to help. So there's all kinds of ways in our church that you can be a servant, whether it's road crew or serving in hospitality or kids' ministry, if you're not serving somewhere, there are tangible needs that this body has that you can be a servant. And maybe you say this morning, man, I understand, okay, I understand that in God's kingdom we're supposed to be servants, but isn't there a place for godly ambition? Yes. Isn't there a place for honor? Isn't there a place for reward in God's kingdom? And the answer is yes. Look at it here. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 28 through 30. Go there with me. He's talking to them and he says, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Are you telling me that these self-focused guys who were just talking about who was the greatest Who is the greatest disciple? Jesus is still going to reward them. That's exactly what I'm saying. Why is he doing that? Is it because they're so great and so humble here? No. Look at it. In verse 29, it says, I assign to you. See, leadership is assigned. God's sovereign over who he puts in place in any level of leadership, whether that's our nation, you've got to remember that right now, our nation or your church. Or wherever God assigns. And look at the second idea here. Is that one of the reasons here. Is because he stayed with them. So they persevered. These are men who have persevered with Jesus. Through the thick and the thin. And yes they're here. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. But they have stuck with it. When the Pharisees were coming after Jesus. When the religious leaders were coming after Jesus. When their friends and everyone left them. And their families left them. Because they were following Jesus. He stuck with them. So there's this. Idea of perseverance here, and this is your second idea. Greatness in God's kingdom is rewarded through perseverance or faithfulness, not power. These men didn't possess power, but they did possess a faithfulness to Jesus. They were faithful servants. I love the text, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is, looks like it's the last book that Paul wrote um, before he was killed. By the Emperor Nero. And he's in prison. And he's writing to young Timothy. The next guy up. Who he's passing the baton to. And in chapter 4. He's really coming to the end of his life. And is probably the, one of the last things that he wrote. And in Second Timothy chapter 4. Verses 6 through 8. He says this. He says. I'm already being poured out. As a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith, and in the future there's laid up for me reward that God, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not just me, this is important, but all who have longed for or looked toward his coming. And so there's reward. There's reward for the faithful servant who follows Jesus, and this is what Paul was clinging to at the end of his life. So greatness in God's kingdom is rewarded through perseverance. I want you to think in your own life about ways in which you've had to continue to be faithful. Looking ahead and going, you know, I don't know why God has this happening in my life right now. But I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him through COVID. I'm going to trust him through heartache. I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to continue to move forward because he's faithful and he's worth it. And I can trust him. You know, when I think about this, I, I, I picked on the men a little earlier about servanthood. I just want to encourage the ladies in the room about perseverance. Particularly moms in the room. Built into your job description, if you will, as a mother or as a woman, is, is servanthood. It's built in. You serve your family. You serve your husband. You put up the Christmas stuff. You're probably tired and weary you feel like life often is all in the mundane of life. Getting in in the minivan and taking the kids. And life is about kids and serving the dishes. All of it. Men, I hope you're helping with that, by the way. It's built in. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage your hearts this morning. God uses your perseverance to mold your heart. And there's a promise here. A future reward that you can find joy in today even the mundane even the mess of life so i hope you see this as this perseverance and this faithfulness to god and the task and the things that he's put before you hope you see the promise of reward that you see in scripture and as you think about 2021 what are you going to do with the curveballs that 2021 throws you maybe i shouldn't go there yet But how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to persevere knowing that Jesus is worth it? Knowing that he's there with you. So greatness in God's kingdom is marked by servanthood. It's marked by perseverance. And he's taught these disciples about these things. He's taught them about servanthood. He's teaching them. He's lecturing them about it. He's showing them the importance of perseverance. But how is he going to build that into his disciples? Is teaching enough? Let me ask you a question. Is teaching just enough? Or often do we have to experience something before we learn? The disciples are no different. Look at it. Pick it up there. Maybe you're wondering what's the connection between who's the greatest and Simon Peter and that's it. Oftentimes as believers in Christ we have to learn the hard way. We have to learn through Failure, And this is exactly what happens, not only to Peter here, but the disciples. And Jesus is foretelling of it in verses 31 through 34, because greatness in God's kingdom is often produced through failure. It's often produced through failure. Look at it. He's speaking to Simon. Look at verse 31 with me. He's speaking to Peter, and he says to him, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And when you just read it in the English, you don't see something that's really important. The you here, mentioned twice, is not just directed at Peter. It's plural. It's plural for the disciples as well. So he's speaking to Peter, surely, about Satan sifting him like wheat, but he's also speaking to the rest of the disciples. And what's the idea of sifting? Sifting wheat? I don't know if you've ever sifted wheat, but in the old school, you would sift wheat by shaking it. And so what he's saying is is that Satan is going to shake you up, Peter. Disciple, he's going to shake you up. But I have prayed for you. Jesus has prayed for you. Look what he prays and what he doesn't pray, by the way. He prays for you, and that's singular. He's specifically talking to Peter in verse 32. That your faith may not fail completely is the idea. That your faith won't fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brother's. So does Jesus pray that they won't be sifted? Does he pray that they won't be shaken up? He doesn't. He does not pray that they would escape failure. He knows that they will walk through failure. He ordains it. He ordains it to humble them from where they're at. Remember, Peter, I won't deny you. This is true for you and me as well. He does not pray they won't experience this. But when. Look at it. Look at the text where it says when. But when you have turned again. When you have come to. Then strengthen your brothers. This is instructive for them. Because what happens right after this. Peter denies Jesus. Three times. The disciples. Tuck tail and run. In the garden of Gethsemane. And then what happens. They come back. Right. They return. And they come back. They're shaken up that they come back. They sin against God. They turn their back on Jesus, that they come back. And the book of Acts says that they shared the gospel everywhere. And if you go and study church history, these men who tucked tail and ran, who were sifted, who failed, got back up, and they changed the world. Little fishermen from Galilee changed the world. So we often... Greatness is often produced through failure, not fame. You know what's interesting about Peter, specifically here, is that after all of those things happened, you meet Peter in the book of Acts and he has a new confidence, doesn't he? He doesn't care. He's still still Peter, but he has a new confidence. And then you come to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he's talking about the importance of elders shepherding the flock among you. Not for sordid gain and status and power and fame, but to serve the body, to shepherd the body. And then he says what? In verse 6, he says to all, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, that God might exalt you at the proper time. Do you think Peter's gone through some humbling? After all of this, he has. And then in verse 10, and I love this, you ought to highlight this in your Bible. When you stumble and you fall and you sin, he says this. The God, may the God of all grace restore you, establish you, strengthen you, and support you after you've suffered. See, Peter had to learn through failure, but learn he did. How about you, Christian? Do you learn through failure? Have you ever had to eat humble pie? Ever had to eat humble pie? You know, if you've ever, you know, I sat in the stands a few years with my kids... Um, and I I, I barked it maybe not outwardly, but said, man, you know, if I was just the coach if I was just the coach, then we would be undefeated and that was a terrible play that you ran, you you don't know what you're doing and then you become a coach, right? You you coach your kid's team and you realize it's not so easy and then other people are saying the same thing to you Brent, am I right? Humble pie you know, I, I was a Middle school youth pastor when I started in ministry. Which there's endless stories there. I'm glad I was. There are endless stories in middle school ministry. And I remember this kid. This kid came in in 6th grade. And he was a pretty good little basketball player. But man, he had a mouth on him. And he thought he, the first, I remember the first week he came in. And so, there's six, so it was 6th to 8th grade. So you had these big 8th graders in the room. And so he was just talking trash the whole time. And I remember going over to an 8th grader two eighth graders, and saying, all right, good basketball players, by the way, and saying, I don't want this kid to get a shot off. Make it happen. Patrick's laughing because I think he was there. And that kid didn't get a shot off the rest of the day. And we had a little change that happened in the little sixth grader that, that thought he was all bad. Sometimes God has to humble us. How do you respond, though, to failure? Specifically, when it's sin against God, how do you respond to that? When you blow it big time with sin, do you get up or do you wallow? Or do you turn like the disciples? See, God wants to use failure in your life and redeem failure in your life. Just as Jesus has redeemed you. And then, this is a little harder, especially if you have kids, do you let other, are you willing to let others around you fail? Do you see how Jesus let these men fail? so that they would get up and grow from it. Mom and Dad, this is one of the hardest things to do, is to let your kids fail. And yet they need it. You don't wish it on them. You don't pour it on them. But they need to fail and realize their need. Their need for the Lord. So how do we respond to failure? Do you let others fail? And when failure is going to come knocking in 2021, how will you respond? See, these disciples came back to Jesus. That's how you respond. So Jesus' message is really threefold to his disciples. Be a servant. You don't need to be like the Gentiles who lord over people, who seek power and fame and status. Be faithful and persevere. Be refined by fire. But is is Jesus willing to do the same, right? A, A good leader is willing to do the same. Look at verse 27. See, he teaches them and he tells them that failure is going to happen. Look at verse 27, though. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? And the answer is no. That's Jesus' answer. Look at it. But I am among you as the one who serves. You see, Jesus was the ultimate servant. He gave his life for you and for me. And though he was in the form of God, he did not consider a quality of God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself. And he died on a cross for you and for me. He was the ultimate servant who persevered in life and in death. This is who your Jesus is. This is what verse 27 shows us that he's the model. He didn't ask us to do something that he wasn't willing to do. He was the servant who was exalted and the one who persevered. You see, your point today is this. Greatness in God's kingdom, true greatness in in God's kingdom, looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. He's the one that we emulate. He's the one that we imitate. There's a story of uh, a man who sold his construction company, and I'll close with this, who sold his construction company up in North Texas, true story. And uh, worked for 30 years building homes and building different structures, and when you sell your construction company, you've got to sell all your equipment or figure out what to do with it. But he couldn't part with his scaffolding that had beams on it. And his wife was like, look, what are you going to do with this stuff? We've got it sitting out here by the house. He's like, I don't know, but I can't get rid of it because this scaffolding has held me and my workers up for 30 years. It's withstood the test of time. And then a few years later, the wood was sitting there for a while. And he and his wife decided to build a new house. And he said, I know, honey, what I'm going to do with the wood. I'm going to take the wood, and that wood is going to be the I-beams in our new And he wove the beams that had held him up into the tapestry of his home. See, Jesus isn't just the one we use to hold us up, although he is. He's the one that we stand on. He's the cornerstone, stone that the builders rejected. But he's also ought to be intricately woven into the tapestry of your life and of my life. Do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to do that? So you want to be great in God's kingdom? Be a faithful servant. Trust him. Serve him. Persevere. And when you fail, get back up through the power of the spirit. If You want to be great in God's kingdom in 2021? Think about tangible ways in which you can be a servant. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this example. We confess that we're often like these disciples, people who know you and want to serve you, and yet we tend to look at ourselves and say, Am I great? We tend to pursue, we confess, we contend to pursue our own status as a measure of greatness, our own power as a measure of greatness, our own fame as a measure of greatness, and what we bring to the table is a measure of greatness. And Lord, remind us, yet again, the greatness in your kingdom looks like Jesus. Lord, help us be through the power of your spirit, men and women who look not to be served, but to serve. Pray that we'd be people who persevere when the going gets tough, looking to the author of our faith in Jesus, the joy set before him. So give us eyes to see Jesus in 2021. We love you. Thank you for time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.